Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Revving Up History with Mr. Revolta. Again, here to talk about the Progressive Era. Again, this is a time period uh, more or less from the mid-1890s through about World War I, maybe even a little bit after. And the first, chap- uh, first chapter that deals with this, chapter 22, we'll, we will continue this with chapter 23 as well. But just kind of laying the groundwork for how this began, right? And we read that little anecdote in class about McClure's magazine and his kind of... Uh, uh, sort of directive right to his journalists to basically go out there and investigate corruption investigate these different things and because readership will go up and circulation of all those magazines will go up um, you know people are attracted to those stories that expose things like child labor uh, corruption uh, all sorts of the kind of social problems going on right in cities during that time so uh, again that leads to the coining right of uh, Teddy Roosevelt that term muckraker and again, that's what we call those journalists who try to expose some of those bad things going on within society. All right, guys, let's uh, begin real quick. So the first kind of section begins on kind of the changing face of industri- industrialism, meaning that basically more goods are being produced at lower prices. And, uh, you know, overall kind of optimistic uh, feeling in the early 1900s. Uh, of course, the key to this and the most kind of exemplary sort of good is Henry Ford and his utilization of the assembly line, right, to produce... Uh, the Model T and really kind of, you know, democrat democratize the vehicle, right? Get the vehicle at a price point where he's making a small profit on each unit and he's just grossing a lot of profits on the volume of sales, right? Just selling so much. And it's something, of course, that'll push him through uh, this 1920s and really revolutionize uh, really the way America looks because the road systems, all that stuff that comes about this, uh, pretty, pretty incredible. So 1908 Model T is introduced, of course, from Ford Motor Company. Ford founded in 1903. In 1916, the government kind of goes all in by beginning uh, highway subsidies, meaning, you know, tying in federal monies to help out state governments. But in return, state governments also had to establish highway departments or road departments to kind of maintain local roads as well. So here you have that, you know, the Model T, again, is eight years older than this Federal Roads Aid Act, right, 1916. But uh, the government kind of throwing in their lot. And just like with the railroads before, showing that they will be an active participant and assist with the proliferation of uh, you know uh, automobiles all over the country uh, we also see kind of uh, the uh, growth of trust right these kind of big businesses and conglomerates and we see also bankers having a big role people like JP Morgan and these mergers and these different kind of consolidations again a lot of times they're denounced as being kind of monopolistic right uh, leading to things like oligopoly right domination of certain uh, industries by a few companies and then some say, you know, these companies deserve the credit and they deserve all the profits because they're the most efficient, they have cheaper goods, and, uh, you know, this is the way kind of things were at that time. Uh, we also see some changes going on in the way of uh, kind of mechanization and managing machines in particular. And a guy named uh, Fred- Frederick Taylor is kind of the key innovator of this, an engineer, and he comes up with kind of the view on scientific management to increase efficiency. And it could be timing workers in a factory, right? It could be... Uh, providing incentives or bonus performance bonuses to certain workers to increase efficiency these are some things so while again some things are are improving right pay is kind of going up a bit some other things we still have a lot of issues with safety uh, at the workplace and this is there's no greater example of that than with the march 1911 uh, situation at the triangle shirtwaist company right where a terrible fire broke out and a lot of uh, workers right mostly immigrant women uh, were trapped on these levels and due to a lot of uh, fail-safes not working, right? The sprinkler system, the hoses at the time not being able to reach that high uh, to those buildings. 
you know, that helped to highlight because of those 146 dead, mostly women. It helped highlight that tragedy and highlight the need for fire codes and different regulations in the workplace, such as sprinkler systems in all factories. So again, that'll be a big thing to kind of get things moving. Again, a sign of that progress, right? The progressive era. Uh, let's see, uh, some other things we see and more and more kind of minorities joining the workforce as well as children, right? Um, we see also better times on the farm due to increased routes for mail and the back of the railroads and parcel posts, which is basically, you know, bigger packages being able to be delivered to farms. And we saw a lot of people who are tenant farmers sharecropping in the South, right? Mainly for African-Americans. So, um, again, better times for farms in general, but, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, totally out of the woods yet. There's still a lot of division with that still some of the have and have nots. Uh, in that situation all right guys uh let's see a few more things um we see kind of an uptick in women's labor unions especially the women's trade union league during this time kind of the pre-1920 or so we see also some examples of laws passed to kind of uh, protect uh, pregnant women in the workplace and their infants we also see the niagara movement and the founding of the naacp so basically this was meant to attack course inequality for African-Americans. I mean, we just spoke about sharecroppers, right? These people that were in a sort of semi-slavery role in mostly the South, segregated by things like Jim Crow laws and violent mob, um, violent white mobs sometimes. Uh, your book has a crazy stat where, you know, in the early 1900s, um, many, many people a year are being victimized by these the mobs in the South, especially. Uh, so in 1905, W.E. Du Bois uh, and others kind of rejected this sort of accommodation, right, rejecting that gradualist approach of someone like Booker T. Washington before and demands immediate, basically, equality for all uh, minorities and stuff. So the NAACP and National Association for the Advancement of Colored People will be a key kind of advocate of that, as well as the lead to the founding of the Urban League. And uh, again, these will be two organizations that champion African-American rights and all minority rights, really. Uh, again, as far as immigrants in the work workforce, we see from 1901 to 1920, of course, the new immigrants, right, mainly from Southern and Eastern Europe, as well as Mexicans and Asians enter the labor force in higher numbers. Uh, you know, we see more increases in divisions like with schooling and stuff like that. You know, for example, with Hispanics or, or Mexicans, uh, you know, it's kind of segregated from certain school districts and sometimes not even offered school at all. Uh, we see Chinese immigration continue that kind of nasty uh, sort of formula that was established by the 1882 right Chinese Exclusion Act. And basically what we have in 1902 is a straight up Chinese immigration ban. And then there's other things that are put in place to uh, kind of limit immigration, such as literacy tests and stricter kind of rules when it comes to uh, people coming into the nation. Again, keep in mind, one of the reasons we see a big spike in Mexican immigration, especially around 1910, is because of the Mexican Revolution, right? You know, basically a civil war and a, a lot of warfare for power, right, during that time. And that causes a massive amount of people. Your book has a great stat, basically 10% of the total Mexican population relocates to the American Southwest. So just, uh, you know, incredible numbers moving up north. <laughs> All right, guys, the end of the chapter deals a little bit with some of those uh, labor organizations. We still have the American Federal, La Federal Federation of Labor led by Sam Gompers. Again, that's the largest union in the country, mainly for skilled workers, still not really including women. Um, again, in 1903, we have women who were kicked out of the AFL or not allowed into the AFL formed the Women's Trade Union League um, around 1903. And then uh, in 1905, we have the rise of a new uh, kind of uh, union that will be pretty impactful, but only lasts for about 20 years or so in the industrial workers of the world. And again, uh, it'll be a little bit more radical and they'll kind of fizzle out after a while, but more and more kind of 
um, you know, workers are kind of realizing that these unions can be beneficial to them to help them. All right, guys, uh, some other kind of things going on. Uh, conditions can slowly improving through things like the unfortunate tragedy in the Triangle Waste Factory. Henry Ford does a lot himself by kind of doubling wages and limiting the workday. I think I spoke briefly about in class how, you know, he kind of realized that his workers could be a lot of his consumers, right? So he premiered the $5 day and improved overall conditions in his factory. And, uh, you know, in a way, it was kind of like quality over quantity. Even though he did reduce the workday, did give them more pay, it made workers kind of all that more productive. It actually even curtailed union activity uh, with Ford Motor Company. All right, guys, uh, there's a section kind of towards the end of the text or the end of the chapter uh, where it talks about kind of the new urban environment, right, or cities. So just, you know, the rise of mass consumption and people as consumers. Uh, we have a growing middle class because wages are going up a little bit. So a lot of people obsessed with things like entertainment and uh, again, advertising still growing like crazy. Um, the standard of living going up quite a bit. Uh, we see the average lifespan increase. I mean, still lower for minorities, still some issues with uh, births and things, but overall uh, life getting longer and getting a bit better quality. Uh, let's see, some other things we have going on, um, you know, leisure time and kind of the idea of the weekend kind of being be developed as we get into the 1920s. Of course, baseball and football still some of our most popular pastimes. Important to note that with football in the your book has an interesting story how in the seasons in the early 1900s, I believe the season 1905 alone, uh, there were quite a few deaths because of head injuries in football and how violent it was. You know, if you've seen movies or pictures or anything for those old days, right, there was no face mask, the padding was very limited, and I want to say a good number died, you know, maybe at single digits, but uh, some a lot of people were very seriously injured. So that actually led to the founding of the NCAA, right, the same NCAA that still kind of uh, oversees college athletics. So, you know, good to know the violence of football, basically, is what kind of began the NCAA. Uh, popular music of the time, right? We see some early versions of kind of blues and jazz, vaudeville and ragtime, also very popular. And uh, in the kind of arts and stuff, we see what's called the Ashen School or Post-Impressionists. A lot of realists, a lot of kind of neighborhoods. Uh, we see popular poets like T.S. Eliot uh, come out of regions and uh, really kind of give flavor to American art during that time. Uh, that covers most of it. Hopefully you find this stuff helpful. Thank you for taking the time. Appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you soon.